Uh, we are live when, whenever you're ready, Commissioner. Great. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome DPH staff, members of the public, and my fellow commissioners to the April 18th, 2023 meeting of the San Francisco Health Commission. Secretary Moravitz, will you call the roll? Yes, I'll start with you, Commissioner Green. Present. Commissioner Chung. Present. Commissioner Dorado. Present. And Commissioner Christian. Present. And Commissioner Christian, would you read our land acknowledgement today? Yes, I will. Gladly. <clears throat> the Renatu Shaloni Land Acknowledgement. The San Francisco Health Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatouche Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of, San, of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatouche Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushalone community, and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you so much. Uh, Secretary Morowitz has some information to read as we start the meeting. All right, great. Can you, can you pull up the slide on public comment, please? Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Morowitz. I'm the Health Commission Secretary. And I, I later on will read a long statement about public comment, but I hope that this might clarify. I've gotten, um, we've gotten some comment during meetings regarding uh, how confusing the new procedure is. Um, this hopefully will clarify where we're at. There are three uh, categories of public comment at this point. Folks that are in the room and attending in person are prioritized and go first. And then folks who have uh, received an accommodation from me for disability by contacting me at least two hours before the meeting are next. Um, and I'm sorry, those folks are participating remotely. And then after the folks who've received accommodation, um, we, we go to anyone else who was participating remotely. And there's a maximum of 20 minutes for that group of public comment. So again, there's three categories. In order to um, participate remotely, you can either um, ask for accommodation by emailing me or calling me and the information's on the agenda or you can participate remotely without that um, and uh, go with the 20 minute group. Uh, hopefully that clarifies for some of you and let's, uh, Ken, you can take the slide down and we can move on to the next item. Yes, and this item is general public comment. I believe there's further commentary on that topic. Yes, here's the long script. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, but are not on this meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes. The Brown Act forbids a commission from taking action or discussing any item not appearing on the posted agenda, including those raised during public comment. Please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from other individuals unable to attend the meeting. Written public comment may be sent to the Health Commission at the following email address, health.commission.dph at sfdph.org. If you wish to spell your name in the minutes, you may do so during your verbal comments without taking your allotted time. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. We will first take public comment from individuals attending the meeting in person. We will then take remote public comment from individuals who have received an accommodation for a disability. 
I've given each of these individuals a code to speak when they begin their comments to prevent others from speaking during this time. And there's only two people who have received that accommodation for this meeting. There will be time, a time limit of 20 minutes on the total amount of remote public comment that can be heard on each item from individuals who have not received an accommodation for a disability. Because of the new re remote public comment procedures recommended by the Office of the City Administrator and the City Attorney's Office, please do not raise your hand to make remote public comment on an item until your category has been called. All right. So um, folks on the line, let's um, see if there's any uh, general public comment. There are two hands that I see. We can take them in order. Um, James, please uh, unmute the first person. James, are you there? Oh, okay, I guess I'll do that myself. Hi, caller. Um, are, are you unmuted? Please let us know that you're there. I am. It's Patrick Monetzaw, code HH. All right, please begin. As a reminder, these limits documented Dr. Palmer and other public commenters expressed concerns about Sutter's CTMC's plans for the warm pool at, at the Davies campus, which involve a reduction in services to the community, which, by definition, requires the health commissions to schedule a Prop 2 hearing to determine whether that reduction in services, quote unquote, will or, quote unquote, will not have a detrimental effect on San Franciscans health. As Commissioner Chow rightfully noted, is in this commission's purview as DCH's governing body. When is this commission going to actually schedule that Prop Q hearing? As I testified, my mother was fortunate to have access to an aqua therapy pool program to ease her arthritis before she was admitted for skilled nursing care at the end of her life. These minutes also document my concern that Dr. Colfax and Mr. Pickens are asserting there were 124 deficiencies in the first 90-day monitoring survey in December, but the QIE's root cause analysis report initially had only listed 76 deficiency and unexplained variance of 48. It's incumbent on the health commission to explain publicly that discrepancy. Thank you. Hey, thank you for your comments. And again, we're on general public comment right now. So again, th this item is for, uh, is for topics that are not currently on the agenda. Next uh, person, please um, let us know that you're there. Caller, are you there? Yes, I'm here. You able to hear? Yes, I've got three minutes on the clock. When I say stop, please finish your st uh, statement. You may begin. Good afternoon, health commissioners. My name is Ellen Lee Zhao, that is E-L-L-E-N-L-E-E-Z-H-O-U. I was a public health worker for public health for many years. I am a union delegate for representing government employees. I have been a resident for more than 37 years in San Francisco. I care about my city. San Francisco has been running a communism government 
which we now know San Francisco has been controlled by a deep state government that against the people, the people's enemy within our government, that most public ele elected officials were paid and brought into the office. They purposely imposed Agenda 21, which is another word for one world government. In 2020 to present time, I report government leaders include health leaders in Department of Public Health lie about the pandemic COVID-19 by forcing COVID-19 vaccination for school, for business, and for jobs. Now, we see more and more vaccinated people dying and getting sicker. Until today, San Francisco still have the communism policy, no vaccination, no vaccination card, no job. I was retaliated by reporting the facts and data about government leaders and officials lie to our public about forcing vaccination that the virus never isolated. As of today, April 15, 2023, we have unvaccinated government employees still have five active lawsuits against the mayor, the health officials, and city leaders lying to the public by forcing illegal violate illegal vaccination violate people's medical choice religious freedom and constitutional rights now we see more and more people are sick and dying from vaccination 1168 christians and catholics who believe in god believe in jesus were terminated from the san francisco government health commissioners None of you elected into your office. How can you make such a decision to support illegal lockdown and illegal forcing, forcing people to accept a medical treatment, COVID-19 vaccine? It's time for all of you to defend our public by ending the vaccination mandate for jobs. Return all unvaccinated public workers back to work. May God end the one world government in San Francisco. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And I'm also ask God to bless all of you that have a heart. Many of you are educated people. You are MD and you are educated people. But the way that you your, impose your time is up. Thank this you very much for your comment. Laws show that you're not. You are not educated. All right. Uh, those are the only two hands for the uh, general public thank, comment. Thank you for your comments. And... The next agenda item is the review and approval of additional budget proposals for fiscal year 2023-24 and 24-25. Uh, Director Louie. Good evening, Commissioners. Jenny Louie, Chief Financial Officer, here to present with you on additional, to update you on the city's economic forecast, um, as well as to present to you um, our proposals with additional instructions from the mayor's office. Um, I can get the second slide. Great. Um, so tonight, uh, we'll, uh, I'll update you on the five-year production um, and additional uh, budget instructions, go over our budget proposals, and talk about next steps with the commission. Next slide, please. Um, so as part of the regular budget process, the mayor's office, controller's office, um, and board of supervisors, budget and legislative analysts uh, do an update to their five-year projection that they usually, uh, that they issue in uh, November um, to, with updated revenue projections. 
Um, and in this March, uh, what they uh, see is that the five-year forecast is worsening by 51.5 million as a result of lower revenue projections, um, increased health and benefit pension costs, as well as active labor negotiation um, with police and firefighters unions, um, as well as um, additional pending or policy decisions um, that have fiscal impact. And so what you see here is the updated chart um, that uh, over the two-year budget, which includes, um, and at the very end, I'm not sure if you can see, uh, a projected deficit of 778 million over the two-year budget. Previously, it was about 720 million. And so with this worsening news, um, the mayor's office has addition, uh, issued additional budget instructions. Uh, next slide, please. And so these instructions um, go to, went out to all city departments for additional general fund reductions um, that were issued on March 30th. Um, we did, they had asked um, for people, for departments to turn around the request um, and submit them to their office on April 7th. Um, we did receive an extension um, until after this April 18th health commission meeting um, for our submission, but the instructions um, include our for a five percent reduction annually which represents 50 million um, for the department or 100 million over the two-year budget we're also asked to review vacant positions and review older continuing projects for one-time savings given the rapid turnaround i will just note that um, we did a lot uh, but we will need to further refine our proposals moving forward um, just to make sure uh, that the, we got all the numbers correct. Um, but the, pr the proposal before you, um, it really represents our best thinking um, given the short time, time frame. Uh, uh, and beyond this instruction, um, the mayor's office will also be looking at the Proposition C funds, which is also projected to have a shortfall. It is a special revenue fund um, that funds um, behavioral health services for people experiencing homelessness. Um, that is also, um, as noted uh, in the November report, projected to have a shortfall. We believe there's sufficient um, uh, one-time savings to get us through the budget year, and so that might be enough, um, but it's, it's pending mayor's office decision of whether or not they would want to use that one-time savings um, or figure out a different way to balance out the fund. And so I just want to note that it is not a general fund program because it's considered special revenue fund separate from there, but still um, working its way through the mayor's office. Um, next slide, please. So our approach for um, general fund savings was really um, looking at ways we could step, continue to step down our COVID-19 operating um, operating and response costs. Um, we tried to leverage additional revenue opportunities to achieve general fund savings, as well as realign our budget to affect historical actual spending without any impact to services, as well as identifying one-time savings that could just help bridge us towards the gap um, to get through this two-year budget. Um, I will also note that there was incredible effort um, by the department not only to create proposals but also to get community input um, and we were able to have a meeting with community stakeholders um, on the afternoon of Thursday 18th, um, Thursday April 13th to preview um, the proposals uh, that we have um, moving forward and they've seen a similar presentation to what I'm about to bring forward to you. Next slide please. So this table um, summarizes um, our proposals and I'll go into it in more detail, but overall of the $100 million target over the two years, uh, we are bringing forward 
um, 85 million of ideas broken out into those four categories of COVID-19 um, response, some contracts uh, adjustments, leveraging revenue, um, as well as uh, authority and fund closeouts for additional savings. So getting into the details, um, next slide, please. Um, one of the things we're seeing um, with the COVID-19 uh, response is that emergency declarations um, are ending as well as, and federal funding is expiring. So we've reevaluated um, our step, plan, step down plans um, as uh, the federal um, uh, government will no longer be providing test kits for free for DPH for distribution to healthcare organizations. Um, and we would, um, but we do expect um, continued support for vaccines for the uninsured. Um, we're also seeing a significant shift of testing and vaccine activity to healthcare systems. Um, and what we're also seeing is reduced utilization um, in our testing and vaccine sites. Um, in, uh, in the first quarter of 2023, um, I'm sorry, of 2023 this year, from January to March, we're seeing about um, 1,100 tests over that three period, three month period. When we compare that to what we saw just a year ago, it's 130, we were performing about 135,000 tests over the course of um, January through March of 2022 in that same period. So we're seeing a significantly reduced level of activity um, at our sites. Um, currently at our sites as well, less than, um, we're seeing about um, 3,000 tests in March, which is um, approximately only 10% of our available testing capacity. And so this is some of the data we considered when we move forward with our proposals. Um, most sites are not um, averaging the minimum of 40, min 40 tests um, uh, a day that we would have expected um, under this plan. Uh, next slide, please. So with that, um, we're proposing um, reducing um, savings of uh, 6.9 million in the first year, um, and then uh, dropping down to just 4.8 million in the second year. And again, commissioners may recall as part of our February submission, we had um, proposed 25 million of ongoing COVID reductions, or I'm sorry, of ongoing COVID programming between both network operations as well as community response. So what this would do is um, our ongoing, our response in 23-24 um, would go down to about 18 million in the first year. Um, and then back up to 20 million of the second year. This is in part due to some of, we did put additional new infrastructure positions to support um, um, ongoing operating response as well as um, population health infrastructure. And so the annual, how the budget system works is that we'll annualize those positions over, um, over the course. Of, they start in a partial year and so the cost is higher, but the overall service level is essentially the same. In addition, uh, we are looking at our current year balances. We're in the process of developing our um, third quarter reports. We believe that there's 7.5 million of current year savings of, of um, prior year um, dollars that will remain unspent at year end. Uh, we were originally planning on using these dollars to help offset some of the lost costs in terms of um, should the uh, should vaccines no longer be funded, as well as test kits, um, with some of the vaccine news coming in, we feel comfortable about that. Um, we are also recently getting some additional supplies um, 
from related to test kits from the state, but at some point we will plan on stepping down the test kits um, by liquidating the 7.5 million at year end. So overall, in terms of impact, um, for testing and VAX contract, we had assumed 5 million in February. We're proposing to reduce that by 2 million for 3 million ongoing. This will reduce the number of sites um, we have by approximately three. We do need to plan and finalize what this would actually look like. We have an incredibly agile response, and so I think additional evaluation will be needed in terms of location. We recognize that there will be an impact because there will be fewer locations which um, can create um, access, but the services will continue to be available um, by the health department just at fewer sites. On the DPH operations side, um, we will uh, reduce the number, um, we'll eliminate 2.4 million of just one-time temporary dollars for temp staff uh, that was supporting surge and some transition. And in addition, um, we'll be reducing the request for some new civil service staff um, by about 14, approximately 14 FTE. Uh, which is due to the relaxing of the COVID-19 protocols and needs. And again, this is something that we're going to continue to evaluate um, over the course of the month. And just, just please just note this represents an initial proposal for your consideration. Um, last, uh, we will be closing out that 7.5 million, but we hope to retain at least 500,000 to continue the test kit program um, uh, in the community. Next slide. Our next strategy was to leverage revenue um, to reduce the COVID general fund subsidy. Um, I'm sorry, to reduce the general funds um, costs that we have. And most significantly for us um, is leveraging the new interest income related to the city option program. Um, as commissioners know, we made a move to shift about 850 million of, um, of city option funds onto the city treasury. These dollars are absolutely available to people, but now in the treasury, as well as um, improved interest rates, um, we are um, generating um, sufficient interest to bas basically use, use it to offset the um, general fund costs we have for the contracts, which is approximately 10 million. Um, so with this move in the current year, we can achieve 10 million of savings an additional in the current year, plus 10 million in the budget year, plus 10 million ongoing. So that's how we get the 20 million in the first year because you kind of mush the two years together. Um, I know Commissioner Green had a question about the interest income. Um, it's actually calculated by the Treasurer Tax Collector and the Controller's Office um, in terms of the projections um, and the interest rates are remaining quite consistent over the course of that. Um, any uns unspent interest dollars will remain in that account and be rolled over. So should there be a year with a shortfall, we could um, we could help cover some of that shortfall moving forward. And of course, if the interest income is not sufficient, we'll work with the mayor and controller's office uh, to determine how best to support the contracts. But this would not impact um, anything in terms of the services we have available. Um, secondly, uh, with some additional news from the state, we're looking to support about 1.5, uh, shift 1.5 million of um, general fund savings, uh, of, of general fund contracts to the uh, Mental Health Services Act. Um, this is um, what we call the millionaire's tax. And um, I know there's a question regarding uh, what the difference between Mental Health Services Act and Prop C funding is. They're both revenue streams that supports behavioral health services 
Proposition C is a local tax on businesses, over 50 million that generates um, revenue for behavioral health services uh, um, for people experiencing homelessness. Separately, Mental Health Services Act is a state tax, also sometimes known as the millionaire tax because it's a 1% tax on, on people making over a million dollars in the state. Those dollars are put into the state um, Mental Health Services Act fund and allocated. There are um, different categories um, as prescribed by the state, um, but it really is to expand services, mental health services for all. It includes um, prevention, um, treatment, as well as training, capital and infrastructure dollars. Um, and then last is part of the shift, we are looking at about 4.5 million of potential new um, state revenue that we are hoping um, we can allocate some of our existing costs onto. Um, we've applied for these programs and I think we're still awaiting um, some uh, uh, final approval, but we are hopeful um, that will come. And again, we will have to reevaluate our proposal um, should, uh, should those dollars not materialize. Next slide, please. Next, we're proposing to realign our contracts budget to expected actuals. Um, some commissioners may remember we've done a similar true up a few years ago, um, but basically, it's, again, we're aligning the contracts um, to reflect what we believe is actual spending as commissioners have seen sometimes in our prior year financial reports at year end. There's a little bit of unspent dollars um, at year end. This adjustment will not impact any service levels or result in any changes to existing contracts. It's more of a true up to just start where we end up, sort of like instead of moving forward that year end process, um, we're gonna recognize the savings upfront um, to try to um, get our budget to be as uh, realistic and accurate as possible. And so we have 3.5 ongoing in behavioral health services, 1 million in the first year um, dropping to um, 500,000 uh, in the second year for population health. And then um, I know that uh, Eric Raffin, our CIO, has identified some contracts and work savings for that will be eliminated entirely. Um, but again, no impact um, to any services and not to any community-based organizations. Uh, next slide, please. Um, and then last, um, in addition, we are looking to uh, reduce some general fund vacant positions. We've identified approximately a million. And again, we will need to uh, reevaluate it. This is about eight FTE within the department. And you know, I will emphasize again that any adjustments we make will not impact service levels. It will not result in layoffs. In addition, uh, we're looking to close out um, three major multi-year projects that we believe is worth 6.9 million. And then um, lastly, following a controller review process, we are looking to release 7.2 million for the Refuse Lean program. This is a program um, that we, our environmental health um, team manages along with assessor recorder. And basically we have an agreement with our scavenger services that should someone not pay essentially their garbage bill, their refuse bill, um, we would put a lien against their property. We would pay we would pay the bill on the property owner's behalf to ensure that the scavenger services get fully compensated. Um, and then we'd put a lien on their um, property um, so that property cannot be transferred um, until the, um, the debt is repaid. Um, 
in addition, in addition to the actual cost of uh, the lien itself, of the cost of the bill itself, there are some um, dollars that are recovered for DPH services, as well as assessor recorder, who has to manage all of that, all of those liens, um, as the city property, um, as they look at the city property, and the transfers. And so, working with the controller's office, um, they believe that 7.2 million um, can be uh, realized for general fund savings one time. So next slide, please. So um, that concludes the summary of our proposals. So with your approval, we would like to submit this plan to the mayor's office. Um, you know, we will continue to work with the mayor's office as our proposal does not fully meet target. It's unclear um, at this point whether or not uh, we will need sufficient, um, we, if this will be sufficient or not, but um, we are hopeful that we've, we've gotten pretty close in over two, in over two weeks. Um, and again, we will also continue to refine the proposals moving forward and just note that there may be some adjustments um, at, you know, that would not really, I don't think will be material, but if there are any material adjustments, we will bring them back to the commission. So, um, so um, assuming um, the mayor's office um, will consider all of these proposals across the city um, and then she would submit a balanced budget on June 1. Um, and then we would go into board and budget hearings um, uh, on June and July of this summer. So with that, this completes my presentation, but I'm happy to answer any questions. Well, thank you so much for distilling this really complex information into such a clear and cogent presentation as you al always do. Is there any public comment on this item? Uh, hi, folks on the line. We're on item three, the budget. If you'd like to make comment on this item, please press star three. I don't see any hands, commissioners. All right, are there any commissioner questions? Commissioner Gerardo. I have one um, question. What you noted on the Prop C funds that the mayor's office will need to look at the rebalancing I, because of the shortfall. I guess my concern is in our last commission presentation on the funds for all the different programs for the homeless services, et cetera, our proxy and um, general fund. General fund was a big chunk of it as well as, um, as the proxy funds. And in light of all of this, is there a concern that how it would affect us would be as well possible rejuggling within um, those programs or are they going to try to make since it is a priority or a public health priority what if you have any inkling that there may be a shuffle and there would not be um, a decrease in service um, that's a good question. I don't know if I can speak for the mayor's office, um, no, but you know, as noted in all of their prior presentations, um, one of their biggest priorities is behavioral health services and services to people experiencing homelessness. And so, um, you know, I think that this would be sort of, you know, as it's a priority area, I think that it would, and I believe it still remains so. Um, so I, you know, from what I can see at this point, I think there is a way that we can get through the two-year budget um, without any um, impacts. And so it'll give us some time to figure out long-term planning. Um, so I am, I am hopeful, uh, but it's, um, 
I think a, a, a policy matter for um, the mayor and the board. Um, but at this point, um, I've not seen any indication. I think it's a more of a bigger question of just looking at that long-term impact and understanding what the balancing would look like. Um, but I will be sure to bring back any information regarding any changes to Propsy or other programs. Um, and within that, are we going to be able to access any of the um, opioid funding that's coming, you know, any of the um, funding that's coming from various lawsuits and would that ever possibly be part of with that you'd be able to um, distribute within various programs? Yeah, um, yeah, we, um, you know, I think the city attorney um, has been really point on this one, but, you know, a number of our services um, would be eligible um, for that. And so I think that it is a possibility. I think there's still a lot to be worked out in terms of the detail. Um, it is um, one-time money we expect right. over multiple years. Each of the settlements um, has slightly different ramification or not, like requirements um, associated with that is something that we are aware of um, and we'll work with the mayor's office and city attorney on in terms of allocation and spending plan. Thank you. Are there any other commissioner questions or comments? In that case, uh, we can ask for a motion to approve. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 And I want to particularly thank you and your team because how you've managed to do this in two weeks is nothing short of remarkable. And Jenny Louie, Greg Wagner, Emily Gibbs, James Alexander, I know you've worked incredibly hard and many hours to produce this result, which is no small feat. And I know you also presented to the community and it's really reassuring to know that the community partners are here to cooperate and try to support us in any way we can given the city issues we all face and that no services are being cut and that no layoffs are occurring is really a testament to the thought and creativity you've put into this very challenging situation. So we're really very grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Commissioner. It's been a exciting two weeks. Um, I could not be more proud of the finance team, but also of the program staff, because um, we did not do this in a box on our own. And so I know there's a lot going on with the department. Um, and I really, it was really a collaborative effort. But thank you for your comments. Yeah, we really appreciate it. I'd also like to also thank you, too, for your presentation and also for the memo that you um, write always that explains your presentation. You would be a wonderful college teacher, believe me, <laughs> in being able and how you present this very, very clearly and factually. So I really appreciate it and thank you so much. Thank you. My mother would have been proud to hear you say that. <laughs> thank you. The uh, next item is for discussions of Laguna Honda Hospital and Rehabilitation Center Closure Plan and CMS Recertification Update. Acting CEO, Mr. Pickens. And Mr. Pickens, the microphone is acting pretty strange. So again, try just to be as close as possible to it on the, on the, on the top side. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. I'm Roland Pickens, the interim uh, chief executive officer at Laguna Honda Hospital and the director of the San Francisco Health Network. 
It's my pleasure to provide you with today's update on the status of the Laguna Honda Hospital and its recertification efforts. Okay, uh, next slide. Okay. So as we are, as we are aware, So as we are aware, in April of 2022, uh, the Federal Centers for Medicare and Medicaid terminated Laguna Honda's participation in the uh, CMS Medicare and Medicaid participation programs for skilled nursing facility care. Since that time, we continue to work hard to meet all the regulatory requirements and to make rapid improvements to prepare for recertification. Next slide. You will recall uh, on November 10th of 2022, the city and county of San Francisco signed a settlement agreement with CMS. It's both a settlement agreement and a systems improvement agreement because it really focuses on trying to identify those sources of deficiency that may have contributed to the decertification of Laguna Honda. Uh, you will also recall under the terms of that agreement uh, CMS will continue to pay for care at, La at Laguna until November of, of 2023. And uh, under the terms of that agreement, CMS agreed to a pause in involuntary discharges and transfers. And it's important to define the difference between a discharge and a transfer. A discharge is a, um, a relocation away from Laguna Honda to a community-based uh, facility and or home, whereas a transfer is a transfer to the same level of care, skilled nursing to another skilled nursing facility. So those are two separate uh, uh, categories and distinctions. Uh, you'll also recall that on February 1st of 2023, uh, CMS agreed to the city's request to continue that initial pause at least until May 19th of this year. In, in the initial pause and the subsequent February 2nd continued pause, both of those included a pause in both discharges and transfers. However, recently we have been instructed uh, by our federal regulators to move forward and resume discharge of that smaller subset of Laguna Honda residents who no longer meet skilled nursing level of care. Uh, we are currently at a census of about 530 residents at Laguna, and there are approximately 40 to 45 residents who fall into that category of no longer meeting the uh, federal uh, requirements for skilled nursing level of care, meaning they qualify for discharge to a community um, destination. Next slide. Under many of uh, uh, the terms of that settlement agreement, um, CMS is required to uh, conduct a monitoring survey of Laguna Honda every 90 days. You'll recall that we had our first survey at the end of November that lasted through December 16th. Uh, we then had our second 90-day monitoring survey in March. 
and we are anticipating a, a third monitoring survey uh, sometime at the end of May to early June based upon the current schedule. Next slide. So as we've previously mentioned that the settlement agreement required that the CMS quality improvement expert conduct a root cause analysis looking at all of the previous surveys done by regulators at Laguna over the past two years. That root cause analysis resulted in the creation of an action plan that the CMS quality improvement expert uh, consulted with the Laguna uh, team on and produced. You'll recall that uh, root cause analysis identified 11 key areas of deficit uh, that contributed to the decertification and resulted in 456 milestones that had to be met and completed by May 13th of this year in order to successfully, successfully uh, complete the terms of the settlement agreement. We are now using that RCA and the action plan and its milestones as our path and roadmap towards recertification. Next slide. As part of this process in the settlement agreement with the root cause analysis and action plan, each month the CMS quality improvement expert is required to report our progress to CMS. And they do that by the creation and dissemination of a, of a monthly uh, a QIE uh, status report on Laguna Honda. They submit that on the 10th of every month to CMS. And we are pleased to report that every month for, they have been able to report that Laguna Honda has successfully met 100% all of the milestones that were due uh, for that corrective action plan. And if you're wondering for the month of April, which is the last month of milestones, there are approximately 120 milestones that must be met and have to be, and it's not only Laguna saying that we've met these milestones, the quality improvement expert actually has to validate it. So we submit data, reports, interviews, on-site observations, all of those go into the process that the CMS quality improvement expert uses to validate our completion of these milestones. Next slide. This slide uh, represents a, um, a, um, a visualization of the timeline that we've been under since the settlement agreement, where um, uh, the top refers to the survey readiness activities, those 90-day monitoring surveys, and the um, um, uh, processes that are, go along with that in terms of uh, subsequent uh, many root cause analysis for any findings from each of those 90-day monitoring surveys, and then also updates to the milestones. So for example, in the first monitoring survey, uh, after that initial um, mini RCA, uh, there were 30 additional milestones that were, that were added. And that uh, uh, will be the same for the second monitoring survey as additional milestones are being added. Next slide. So again, that settlement agreement that was reached between the city and CMS had many, many different requirements, mostly on the part of the city, uh, DPH, and Laguna Honda. 
One of those requirements for the continued funding and for the ongoing pauses uh, is that um, there must be the creation of a closure plan. And if you recall, going back almost a year, when the city originally uh, uh, proposed its closure plan to CMS, uh, we determined that it would take up to 18 months in order to effectively, uh, if we were forced to discharge and or transfer all of the then almost 700 residents. And remember, we're down to 530 now. Uh, you recall that um, that plan was rejected and the one that was accepted required us to discharge and transfer patients within a four month rather than an 18 month period. We all didn't know what happened after that. There were initial discharges, then the settlement agreement was reached. Now, having said that, the settlement agreement also still requires that we have an approved closure plan. Again, our goal is that that closure plan would be an item that sits on a desk and never has to be implemented because it spells out the terms of uh, if there were to be a resumption of referrals to other skilled nursing facilities uh, and or discharges or transfers that that closure plan would govern those. I wanna give you an update on the status of that closure plan since I was before you uh, last month. And I'm gonna give you a pretty detailed uh, uh, chronicle of events to respond to uh, some questions that came our way before the meeting. So as, as I um, have previously said today, that the um, pause in referrals uh, to other skilled nursing facilities, that pause continues. While we have just been instructed to resume the, the discharge um, process for those 40 to 45 patients, the vast majority of our, our residents and patients are still covered by uh, the pause in referral or transfer to other skilled nursing facilities. In terms of the closure plan, um, Laguna Honda recently met with our federal regulators on April 13th to uh, receive the <coughs> feedback, uh, their feedback from our February 2nd submission of our revised closure plan. You recall that we submitted that plan on February 2nd and it was only the week before April 13th that we received communication saying that they were ready to meet with us to review that. Uh, at that meeting last Thursday on the 13th, they shared with us which components of our revised plan they were prepared to accept or not, and they offered additional feedback uh, and compromise positions. Then on uh, yesterday, Monday, April 17th, the regulators uh, sent Laguna Honda back a revised closure plan incorporating uh, the discussions we had with them last Thursday. Uh, and uh, this morning, um, we have returned to them uh, our final set of edits for their review and approval. Uh, and they have indicated that we could potentially expect their response as early as close of business today. So potentially we may have a completed and approved closure plan by end of day. But again, that remains to be in the hands of CDPH and CMS in terms of their approval but wanted to give you that update. Uh, next slide. 
also wanted to give you an update on just current um, uh, operations at Laguna. We are currently experience, experiencing a, a surge in COVID-19 cases. Uh, as of this morning, we have 52 residents that are currently COVID positive. Uh, I can tell you about two weeks ago, we were down to only three residents that were COVID positive. So as you can imagine, we are alarmed. You, you know that we, ever, ever since the beginning of the uh, pandemic, have uh, um, identified a COVID unit so that whenever we have a one or more Laguna Honda residents that are COVID positive, we remove them from their normal neighborhood or unit so that uh, they're not able to transmit to other residents and then move them to the COVID designated unit. That unit is our unit um, uh, that uh, uh, has a capacity for 50 residents. So currently at 52 residents, we've had to open uh, an, a, a COVID overflow. So we're not doing an entire neighborhood of 50. We're doing just one household uh, on one of the other neighborhoods. And uh, each household uh, has capacity for 15. So we have our regular COVID unit that is open plus one household on another. So uh, per the terms of our uh, COVID uh, plan that uh, you will recall that the CDC and California Department of Public Health actually worked with us on drafting that plan in the early days of the pandemic. It's continued to be refined by various uh, experts. And so we're taking our um, COVID mit additional COVID mitigation ef uh, efforts that include um, uh, mandatory testing of all, all staff who work on any, any neighborhood that has a COVID positive resident. Um, that is mandated for staff. They, they, uh, in order to work, they have to be tested twice per week. In addition, uh, we are requiring that residents on any unit where there's a case, there has been a case of positive COVID, that residents uh, are required to wear masks while they're on the unit to decrease the spread. Uh, we are also uh, implementing uh, and encourage, encouraging that any visitation uh, of residents occur in outdoor settings so that there's better ventilation. Uh, and we are, uh, for units that have had a positive case of COVID, uh, we are now temporarily uh, no communal eating among residents in the great room. Residents will have to eat in their rooms until this surge um, goes away. And we've done enhanced um, uh, cleaning uh, of uh, of neighborhoods and areas that have had the increase in COVID cases. Next slide. So uh, that concludes most of my presentation, but there are, are a couple of other um, highlights I just wanted to, uh, to, sh to share with uh, the commission. So uh, as part of making recertification uh, uh, our priority, which has been for the, for the last year, uh, one of uh, the um, mechanisms that we're using to advance our recertification uh, has been to expedite the recruitment of the new leadership team at Laguna. So as you know, I'm the interim. I was never intended to be the permanent solution, uh, but we about six weeks ago brought on board a search firm to 
uh, actually assist with the recruitment of what I call the, the big five. It's the top five positions at Laguna. It's the nursing home administrator, which is equivalent to the CEO. It is the director of nursing, equivalent to the chief nursing officer. It's the medical director, equivalent to a chief medical officer, and then two assistant nursing home administrators. You'll also recall in our previous uh, reports to the commission that uh, one, of, one of the significant and primary uh, learnings and that we've had by working with the CMS quality improvement expert is that we, need, we needed to restructure the organizational structure of Laguna to be that more of a traditional skilled nursing facility. And so that's one of the reasons we've made the decision to change the job titles. So I'm the interim CEO, but as we bring in the new leader, that individual will be the nursing home administrator because that is the structure that CMS and the state are accustomed to seeing in other skilled nursing facilities. The use of our terms of CEO, chief nursing officer, chief quality officers, those are more typically found in acute care hospital settings. And so again, we're just showing how we're making this pivot in the organization to better respond to particularly skilled nursing facility compliance. An update on the timeline for that recruitment. Uh, we actually posted um, that nursing home administrator position in February, uh, have had um, over 30 applicants, and happy to say that we will be conducting the first round of interviews on this Thursday, uh, April 19th, uh, with then a second round that will come quickly on the heels of that. And the target is to, uh, depending upon the quality of the applicants and their ability to move through the second round, the, the target is to uh, be ready to extend an offer the week of May 8th for the nursing home administrator. And then for the director, uh, uh, the director of nursing, uh, the target dates for that recruitment are just one week behind that of the nursing home administrator. So their round one interviews will be next week and then an offer plan to be extended the, the week thereafter. I will say we have not had as many applicants for the director of nursing as we have had for the nursing home administrator. So the recruit, the recruit, the recruiting firm is um, uh, doing double diligence to try and source additional candidates for the director of nursing. Uh, and then, um, then the, the next uh, focus would be on those two assistant nursing home administrators and then the medical director position. Um, and so um, those are um, um, the highlights I wanted to bring forward and I'm happy to try and answer any additional questions uh, that you may have at the appropriate time. Well, thank you so much for this update. Um, are there any public comments on this item? Yes, so uh, we have two in the room and, um, and which I'll get to in a second. And then we have three hands up. I wanna remind the folks that um, we have several categories of remote public comment. Um, only those hands, um, sorry, only those folks who've received accommodation should have their hands up because they would be next in line after the in-person. I see four hands, only two of them have received accommodation. So if you've not received an accommodation from me personally by contacting me, then please put your hand down and raise them after that group goes. We will start with Melanie Grossman. Um, for, for everyone, um, when, the day, when the, my buzzer goes off, I'll say time, please finish your statement and know that your time is up. Would you like me to help you with the microphone? Here. Thank you. I hope you can hear me. It was a little 
seemed like it was going in and out. It is, yeah. Okay. Yes. And unfortunately, I didn't hear all of Dr. Pickens' comments. So um, some of my comments uh, today um, might be irrelevant. So I apologize for that. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So my name is Melanie Grossman, and I'm the president of the Older Women's League. And the Older Women's League advocates for older women, especially for those who um, have no one else to advocate for them and to express their concerns and their um, needs. So as, as you know, there is a good percentage of the patients at Laguna Honda who are women. And we are especially concerned about their welfare and um, if there will be transfers, um, will they have an opportunity to have some input in that? Will their families have input? Will they be transferred to places where uh, it is difficult for their families to visit them? And um, you know, there is, uh, there has been some deaths concerning the transfers, and um, and uh, so we would like to make sure that if they are transferred, that they are going to a safer place and to um, a better place. And it, it really doesn't make sense if there's all these concerns about Laguna Honda that they should be in places that also have um, demerits and uh, who, who also um, ha have problems. And nursing homes do have problems, but um, I think just transferring people en masse is, is not the solution. Um, <clears throat> so some of the other things um, I wanted to ask about, and again, I don't know if it's relevant anymore, and that is the issue of the waiver in terms of re the reduction of beds. Because I, sometimes I feel that we're out here clamoring for um, information clamoring to hear what's going on and uh, we're, we're I know that there has been some movement on on um, asking for waivers but I would just like to see a little more clamoring on your part <laughs> that um, th that you are also working very hard to ensure um, that uh, women are safe and have a, a home that where they can feel comfortable and valued and uh, treated with dignity. Um, I feel like in San Francisco, especially now, that, um, the, that solutions come slowly and it takes time to solve these problems. Time. But our deadlines, time, time. Uh, deadlines come fast and furious. So again, um, we'd like to have more clarification and uh, more information. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the next uh, comment from someone attending in person is Ken Trey. And again, please let me know if you'd like help with the microphone. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Ken Trey. I'm a retired San Francisco social studies teacher, spent 25 years in the classroom 
And then, uh, for better or worse, the members chose me as their political chair, which I did for probably too many years. But I returned to a commission hearing today representing the United Educators of San Francisco retired division. We are very concerned about the status of Laguna Honda. We think it's an essential city service. Uh, we are, um, it's heartening to hear the, the efforts uh, that Mr. Pickens and that Laguna Honda are making to meet um, the threat of closure. But at least from our perspective, that closure threat is still very real. We had a presentation on Laguna Honda at our last um, retired membership meeting, and the overwhelming sentiment of the retired teachers, social workers, paraeducators, was that we need to do everything we could to help keep Laguna Honda open, and that's why I'm here. I, I just have to say on a personal note, many years ago, when I first started teaching, I had students doing community service projects, and one of the locales was Laguna Honda. And um, I have to say that what the students experienced was a very life-affirming one, in which they met high-quality staff, nursing, and, and reported back that the patients were well cared for. We hope that that institution survives and the retired educators were prepared to do everything that we can to help that happen. So thank you. Thank you. All right, I see two hands up. Um, James, please unmute uh, the first caller and caller, um, please speak your code that I've given you. Yeah, Mark, it's Patrick, code three tapes. Great. Uh, would you like me to share that slide, Mr. Manetshaw? If you would, please. Go okay, ahead. One second. Yeah, give me one second. I won't take your time uh, until it's up. All right. Let me know when okay. I should start. Okay. It's up and, and the, your time begins now. All right. Thank you. Um, it's unfortunate we are now past the one-year anniversary of the hospital being decertified. Um, and I want to remind uh, Ms. Grossman Mr. Fickens is not a doctor. Slide 10 in his presentation doesn't uh, display, and he didn't mention, that the QIE uh, first three monitoring ports on the 10th day of each of the past three months um, noted that the milestone schedule for completion in each of those three months revealed that there were deficiencies in the deliverables required in the action plan um, that were developed by the Laguna Honda Senior Managers and Line staff, which is uh, disheartening because as you can see in the chart, um, 117 deliverables, 34.8% of the first 336 milestones required revisions to the deliverables. It's not known how many of the remaining 818 milestones scheduled for completion in April will also require deliverable revisions. The reasons for the revisions include one, mitigation plans with action and timelines weren't created, deliverable documents submitted didn't match the information requested in the action plan, possibly including also the nursing 
that there was sort of nursing program gap analysis, and three, individualized care plan deficiencies aren't, weren't being corrected. Other factors include lack of appropriate data analysis, five, lack of clarity and details in the deliverables, six, general inattention to details, seven, information provided wasn't what was requested. Uh, for example, the education plan was presented rather instead of a feasibility study, information provided was not to the time period identified in the milestone. Uh, the audits for December when the audits were supposed to be for January and nine, other insufficient gap analyses, probably including the gap analysis for the restorative care program, which was that prosthetic rehash of a three-year-old PowerPoint presentation um, created by an unnamed Laguna Honda staff member. Thank you. James, all right, great. Please uh, unmute the next uh, caller. Hi, caller. Um, hi, hi, can you hear me? Yes, Dr. Palmer, go ahead. Oh, hi, it's, it's Dr. Palmer, WW. Um, I would like to know if um, in discussion with the uh, federal government on the um, 13th, that there was any insight into the need for an extension on the moratorium on evictions. Um, because uh, this certainly is going to take time. Um, the stuff that we saw from April 10th certainly shows that there still are some very basic problems at the nursing home. Um, and one of them is you just don't have enough one-to-one -one, uh, staff to um, take care of uh, behaviorally problematic residents. Um, and this uh, this is going if if uh, Laguna Honda continues to admit uh, acutely behaviorally problematic residents and then doesn't have the staff to take care of them, this will just result in continual jeopardy and will jeopardize the rights of not only the patients and the uh, those patients and the staff, but it'll jeopardize the rights of everyone around them. And is there any sign that SFDBH and San Francisco General is being realistic about what Laguna Honda can, who Laguna Honda can take care of safely without compromising residents' rights and the basic mission of a nursing home? Um, uh, the other thing that worries me is that um, um, this, are you finding safe and local and appropriate placements for those who do not meet, meet a skilled nursing home eligibility requirements? Um, we do have some, we do have at least one person who died in a homeless shelter equivalent who was discharged last time. And are we going to see more discharges to homeless shelters or medical respite, which is a homeless shelter equivalent to unstable environments? that um, do not offer the support that uh, even if they're not uh, skilled nursing facility uh, eligible, they may be very fragile. And um, whether it's a transfer or a discharge, it is an eviction and it is dangerous. It does have transfer trauma. And so we need to know as soon 
as you know, what the revised closure plan is and if, they'll, if there will be an extension on the moratorium, um, uh, uh, this could just, such tragedy as possible. It's very worrisome. Um, thank you. All right, thank you. Um, all right, so now it is time for uh, others who would like to make public comment, uh, remote public comment, who've not received uh, accommodation for me. I see two hands. James, please uh, mute the first. All right, caller, please let us uh, know that you're hello, there. Hi. Yes. Hello, commissioners. Uh, my name is Norman Dangleman. I'm a longtime resident of San Francisco and a member of the Great Panthers. Uh, it was announced at the April uh, 11, 2023 LHHJCC that on April 13th, Laguna Honda chiefs will meet with the state and federal regulators to discuss the LHH revised closure plan which has not been accepted by these higher ups. We need an update on this. How will HLHH find safe, local and appropriate placements for those who do not meet eligibility requirements for ongoing long-term care at LHH? How will the rights of families and residents to have a say in what is the best for them to be honored? Given the death rate from previous discharges, the public has a right to detailed information on how any discharges will be accomplished in a way that honors the safety, preferences, and cares of the needs of the residents. To prevent death and violation of residents' rights, is CMS CDPH admitting to the need for an extension of the May 19th date for evictions? Thank you very much. Thank you. James, please unmute the last caller. Thank you. This is Michael Lyon, also of Great Panthers. Um, we're supposed to be all pulling together in order to uh, move the hospital out of, out of danger. But um, lack of transparency on the part of DPH has been very upsetting. And um, upsetting in the past and worrisome in the future. Um, we are very upset that the closure plan has been kept a secret. Um, this is something that um, is being negotiated, according to you, is being negotiated between um, Laguna Honda GPH officials and CMS. But we, uh, the public, who are the people who need Laguna on the hospital have no idea what the what terms are uh, have, are being negotiated. We don't know what um, what you uh, what the terms of that uh, you're planning to uh, have this about. We deserve to know in advance what the city's position for uh, arguing has been. The second reason that we're upset is that there's been no positive indication that the city has formally applied for a waiver for the 120 beds that uh, are in danger. Losing those 120 beds would be a disaster considering how few beds there are in, in, uh, in San Francisco. So we have good reason to be skeptical about uh, 
about the way that you've been working in secret. You, your, uh, your performance has not been stellar concerning, uh, concerning uh, transfers. So once again, we demand that there be no closure, no evictions, no bed cuts, and start resuming admissions. Thank you. All right, commissioners, that was the last caller with a hand up. Now, thank you all for your comments, and I think we're particularly grateful to those of you in the room who expressed the same feelings we have about the importance of Laguna as such a vital resource for our community. So thank you. You were really very eloquent. Um, are there any commissioner questions or comments? Commissioner Gerardo. I just wanted to um, ask on the 40 to 45 uh, discharges to the community, is there were you given a timeline that for these discharges? Yeah. Okay, so. So, so, so we will go through our normal process, okay. which includes an assessment, a very thorough assessment by the, by the teams that include the physician, the nurse, the social right. worker, all of that. Uh, and we, then we are also working with community or, um, placement either organizations or programs um, for those individuals who are not deemed um, um, ready to go to home so be it a um, most of them are board and care either residential care or residential care for the elderly uh, a, a, a couple may need like a behavioral health program mm -hmm. uh, to go to but uh, you know, as a licensed hospital uh, in California, we're still governed by all the Title 22 uh, requirements for safe discharge, and also uh, by the State Operations Manual for Medic for Medicaid, uh, which uh, has a really defined process for um, discharges and transfers that includes the right for residents to appeal any discharges and transfers. So we will be going through all those required steps. As you're going through this, um, will this, I mean, it's a long process. I mean, yeah. I, does it affect the recertification or the view of the recertification? Sure. Uh, I can share that um, CMS has made it clear that they expect us to move uh, as quickly as possible and, and that's the expectation all the time that everything we will do should be done uh, both uh, effectively, safely, and efficiently, and exp expeditiously. Because you know, when you think about it, uh, when we are accepting admissions, skilled nursing beds are a precious commodity. So you really don't want to have someone sitting in a skilled nursing bed who doesn't meet that level of care. At the same time, you want to make sure then that there are places in the community where they can then transition to. And so um, uh, it is the regulator's desire that we move as quickly as possible. However, we're not going to do anything that puts someone's uh, safety and health in jeopardy. We are going to follow the rules. We're going to follow our own processes uh, that have been refined over the many learnings of the last year. Uh, incorporating uh, appropriate trauma uh, transfer or discharge assessments, that whole process. I hope they're understanding of the process that we are going through, that's all. 
I guess that's just my concern. Yes, I understand. As I'm, I know it is yours, but yeah. I just want to express that concern. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Pickens, for your uh, for being here today and for helping us understand. And I apologize in advance for not knowing the rules that you're operating under when it comes to these discharges. But um, you mentioned sending people to places in the community. Uh, at times, I'm assuming that there's no place in the community and that they people are sent outside of the community. Is there consideration of is there active consideration of the person who is being transferred, whether they have family or friends, uh, close people, close contacts that can be near them, they can be transferred to a place? Can you tell me how that works? Absolutely. So that's part of the, um, the assessment process. So the assessment not only involves the caregivers, the physician team, the nurses, the therapists, the social workers, the dietitians, but it also involves the resident and or their family members or surrogate decision makers. So it's, it's not uh, all on the institution. Part of the assessment process requires the input uh, of the resident and or their surrogate decision makers in the process, which is why then, even if we are, even when we are able to find a uh, potential placement uh, residents have the option to uh, um, uh, file a, um, uh, not a grievance, but a uh, appeal, or? appeal to that discharge. Uh, and the state operations manual says that the state uh, should adjudicate those appeals within, within 90 days. So that already that's a three month process that unless the state works faster, uh, that's uh, at, at least the process kind of guidelines. Having said that, one of the reasons those individuals are in, in those 40 to 45 individuals, I think it's important to understand that when they came to Laguna, they met criteria for skilled nursing facility. They would not have been admitted had they not. So over the course of their time at Laguna, their, their condition has improved to the point that they no longer meet uh, those skilled nursing um, uh, requirements. However, Laguna uh, was not able to uh, discharge those individuals because there were not places identified that they could be discharged to safely. So that's why they are there now. So what are we doing differently? So what, are we do what we're doing differently is now as part of this recertification effort through the efforts of Dr. Colfax, the mayor, uh, and all of the city department heads, uh, the Department of Housing, uh, uh, housing homelessness and supportive housing, the Department of Aging and Adult Services, Human Services Department, they are all at the table at Laguna working with us to actively find uh, um, um, spots for these individuals to go to. So that's, that's a level of engagement that has not historically been there. So one would think that, that with all of these resources, even though it's still gonna be difficult because there just are, um, you know, um, not, probably enough community-based resources, but at least we have more uh, members on the team and people with the resources uh, to access some of those programs as to help us in that process. If I were a person in that circumstance that I needed to be transferred to another place and I didn't have any uh, family, uh, I didn't have any identified 
a, a proxy for healthcare or anything else. But I told the institution, I told whoever uh, I was my case manager that I had this friend, Cecilia Chung, who lives in a certain place. Mm -hmm. um, would the hospital be required to contact the person I named or would it be my responsibility to uh, drag Ms. Chung into the facility? No, but the hospital would do that. I mean, that's just, that's a regular part of the process. We, if, if a resident says, please, and, and gives permission for that individual to be a part of the process, the team will certainly include them because it, that's advantageous. You want as many people participate, participating in the process that potentially uh, have a solution to uh, the discharge uh, destination. Also, I will mention there's the, the state ombudsperson program. So if you're someone who has no one else, the ombudsman has an office at Laguna and there are several ombudspersons who are assigned to Laguna and meet with the residents uh, on an almost a daily basis. So that is another resource for someone who may be alone who doesn't have other support. And I have one more question and, and this uh, it might you know put you in a difficult position, but if I were a person or the people in the community who want to do everything they can to support uh, maintenance of individuals at Laguna Honda, um, to avoid closure, uh, how can people who are not part of this system have an impact on the decision that CMS makes? That's a good question. Um, I I would say so far we have seen that uh, local advocacy, I think, has been uh, helpful in this process. And uh, I would just encourage people to use whatever mechanisms they can to help support us in our quest to keep Laguna Honda open and to get recertified so that we can begin to accept new admissions. Uh, but I, I would say probably advocacy uh, is probably the best uh, mechanism that individuals uh, could have. Elected officials at the national, state, and local level, that kind of thing? I think so, and, and, and that has happened um, throughout this process, and um, um, I think that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. I, I would give that some more thought, and if I have other ideas, would be happy to share them with the commission. That would be helpful, thank you, and I know that you have difficult, difficult work, and um, I appreciate, and I know I'm not the only one who appreciates your efforts and your sincerity about your dedication to uh, resolving the issues that we face. Thank you. Thank you. Any other commissioner questions or comments? Well, I, I had one or two, and I definitely want to associate myself with Commissioner Christian's comments. We are so supportive and grateful to everything you've done at Laguna, the collaboration. And you mentioned you know, every element of the city from the mayor to the citizens to everyone who works at Laguna have worked so hard to come together to try to make sure recertification is realized. And it's, it's encouraging to know that, that we are all marching in the same direction in this. Um, you know, I, I guess the question I had is, as you look at these various elements, and you may not be able to answer this, but if you look at the various elements, the recent 2567, the milestones you've accomplished, which I think we all agree we are so grateful to and so celebratory of, and then whether we will be scrutinized, for example, if we do begin appropriate discharges, how will all that elements, if any, affect 
ultimately the recertification? It, I mean, it, it, is there, do you think there are parameters they're looking at? Is there anything, I mean, we, we can't be perfect in every way, but if we meet all the milestones, does that give you comfort? If, um, will they even look at the way discharges are done? I mean, I think that that's my first question. And then the second one, and, and you may not be able to answer this either, is as you look at this hopefully forever shelved closer plan, were there any lessons learned that obviously CMS is aware of from the last forced effort um, that might be incorporated in final edits? For example, you said the four months was way too fast and 18 months was far more appropriate. Do you have any any mm -hmm. sense or temperature read on, on that? Sure, okay, I'll start with the first question. So. Obviously, we're being judged on everything we do, be it uh, accomplishments, uh, milestones, uh, and now uh, moving forward with these um, 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 community-based discharges. Having said that, we've maintained from the very beginning that any, any processes that um, divert our attention and our resources from recertification are to the detriment of the recertification process. So to that extent, uh, it, it, it just gives uh, one other barrier, one other challenge for us to now continue our focus on research and now have to begin this just to, to, to um, not begin, but to reinvigorate the, the discharge process for these individuals. Um, now, we're going to do it because that's the that's the requirement. Uh, because part of I think um, what CMS is looking for is our ability to number one comply with their rules. And their rule is, if you have someone who doesn't meet skilled nursing facility care, then you should be doing everything you can to uh, place them at the appropriate level. So that is a requirement. And so one of the things we can do to convince CMS of our regulatory compliance is to comply with their requirement for appropriate discharges. So we see this, uh, while it diverts some of the resources, it is still overall part of regulatory compliance. In terms of your second question, um, which was, remind me. Um, oh, just whether there's anything oh, in yes, a new learnings. program. Yeah, so obviously uh, there were learnings from the first closure plan disclosure plan uh, similar to um, 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 Commissioner Guiardo's question does not put timelines in terms of uh, X number must be moved by X date. Um, and I, I think if anything, that was a learning from the first first time around. Uh, so there are, are no um, uh, guardrails in terms of the, of the timeline. Um, and I think we also learned um, how we can uh, 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 do uh, an even better job of, um, of making sure we are doubling our efforts on our assessments to make sure we're capturing every aspect of the residents' needs and making sure we match them then appropriately for potential discharge uh, destinations. I think um, 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 I think the closure plan also reflects learnings on on both sides that. Uh, it, it takes um, more involvement on the on the part, particularly of CDPH, uh, in the process. And uh, if the closure plan that we have presented uh, is approved, hopefully by end of day, uh, that is something that uh, is in this closure plan that wasn't in the first one. 
So there is progress, I think, uh, in that respect. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for the presentation. And it's so clear that everyone is approaching this with such compassion and care. And please do extend our thanks for everyone who is working overtime and more overtime to try to get recertification accomplished. We're, we're really uh, very impressed by all the efforts that are being made and encouraged by the nursing home administrator uh, interviews, which seem to be moving on a timeline even faster than I think I thought they would, and also the um, progress you've made. So thank you. Commissioner Green, if, I, if, Chair Green, if I may, I, I just wanted to also reinforce and thank uh, Mr. Pickens and his team for their incredible work and just also reinforce the fact that we remain laser focused on getting Laguna Honda recertified. Um, and that's just uh, so, so very, very key. And uh, with regard to ensuring that Laguna Honda not only get recertified, but it becomes the exemplar of what a modern skilled nursing facility is uh, not only for San Francisco, but also for the rest of the country. And as you can see from the fact that we have met our milestones, hundreds of milestones for the last three months, the fact that we have greatly reduced our, our survey findings from the first survey to the second survey, we expect another 90 day uh, survey in, in the future. And you know we are sticking to the facts that we're showing remarkable improvements. And again, the laser focus of the team uh, will remain on recertification and making sure that uh, from at the Laguna Honda level, at the department level, and across the, the, across the city that we're all moving in the right direction along with the advocates and our policymakers to ensure that we meet that goal of recertification. Thank you. Thanks so much for adding that really important information. So the next item on the agenda is the consent calendar. And the item on the consent calendar is a request for approval of a series of Laguna Honda policies that are being recommended to you by a review at the uh, Laguna Honda Joint Conference Commission of April 11th, uh, 2023. Um, is there any public comment on this item? Uh, folks, uh, again, we are on item five, the consent calendar. Uh, I see one hand, but if you'd like to make comment and you've received uh, um, accommodation for disability, you can press um, star three right now. James, please unmute the one caller that has their hand up. Hi again, uh, uh, Mr. Morowitz and commissioners. Um, as you know, I've been testifying about the policies and procedures and um, my remarks today uh, include the reminder that still the restorative nursing policy D.1-0 has still not been brought before you for uh, approving revisions to the plan. A place of public records request to obtain, um, excuse me, the name of the organization that had awarded Laguna Honda a, um, a, an award for its previous restorative care nursing program or restorative care level Roman numeral one, um, I believe the award was more than likely given to the rehab services department, not the nursing department. And I'm trying to obtain records on what year that was awarded, who awarded it, 
and to which department at Laguna Honda. But I want to remind you of my remarks that I made earlier today, that it sounds as if some of the deliverables required by the action plan have uh, had ineffective and sloppy gap analysis studies um, that the QIE had found problematic and required revisions. I have to wonder if the um, restorative care nursing gap analysis was one of those defective um, deliverables based on the fact that it was a rehash of a PowerPoint presentation prepared way back in 2018 when they were begging for funding for the restorative care program in apparently only the nursing department. You guys really need to uh, schedule a separate agenda item at the JCC about what the delays are in implementing that restorative care program and making it sure that it's scientifically based. After all, I was hired along with three clinicians in the rehab services department to help implement the restorative care level one program in response to the US DOJ in 1988. Thank James, you. Please mute him. Thank you. That's the only hand for that item. All right. In that case, if there are no commissioner questions or comments on the policies, is there a motion to approve? I so move to approve. S second. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. The consent calendar passes. And the next item is the approval of the minutes of the Health Commission meeting of April 4th, 2023. And I believe there were a few corrections that were posted online for the minutes. Uh, Secretary Moritz, do you want to review those? I'll be very quick. Um, uh, a member of the public asked me to factually correct a few things on her um, item. So on page two, um, under general public comment in red, there's some um, additional language. And then um, I also inadvertently left out two uh, written public comment requests from folks who had uh, given them to me before the meeting. So I've included those. Other than that, the minutes are the same. Great. Are there, thank you. Are there any commissioner questions or comments about, or corrections of the minutes? Okay, barring none, is there a motion to approve the minutes? So move. Second. And, and before you vote, there is a public comment. Oh, there is, yes. okay. Uh, I just saw a hand pop up. Um, James, please unmute the caller. This is Patrick again. I want to offer my apology at the beginning of the meeting. Instead of um, the uh, public comment I had intended to make, I mistakenly read my uh, written comments for these meeting minutes. So when I submit my written testimony for inclusion in today's meeting minutes, it will be straightened out because I had intended to say um, during public comment that uh, I believe the Health Commission needs to revisit and update the seven-year-old Framing San Francisco's Post-Acute Care Challenge Report uh, conducted in 2016, 
which is what Mr. Pickens uh, had referenced last week at the JCC when he indicated there was a 700 bed shortage um, based on projected demand for skilled nursing beds in the city. But in fact, the um, uh, post-acute care challenge report had indicated that there was going to be at least a 1,700 bed shortage, not 700 beds, Mr. Vickens. And since then, the uh, current supply of skilled nursing beds has gone up, uh, has gone down from what had been reported way back in 2016. And so um, there's the, the gap uh, has, has widened the dearth or shortage of nursing beds has increased. And if the 120 beds at Laguna Honda are lost, we will have a 2,158-bed shortage, not 700. So I strongly urge this health commission to direct um, SNAP for till and DPH's Office of Planning and Policy to go back and revisit that 2016 study and update it because we are in more of a hot mess of a lack of skilled nursing beds, which is what is driving the out-of-county discharge, discharges for SNF level of care that you discussed in that recent report from SNAA's department about the severity of the number of out of county discharges. So Thank you. Commissioners, that's the only call. All right. And so we'll transpose the comments in the next minutes. Yes. Great. So I believe we already have a motion on the floor and a second to approve the minutes. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Next item is the director's report. Director Colfax. Hi, good afternoon, commissioners. Thank you, uh, Chair. Green, uh, Commissioner Green, uh, for uh, giving me time to provide the director's report. I, I did want to just mention that uh, the first item is an item that's not written, but I just wanted to report to the commission that just shortly before the beginning of this meeting, I was delighted to attend uh, the full board of supervisors meeting where uh, our uh, behavioral health director, Dr. Hillary Cunnins, was recognized for her leadership through a commendation that was read by Supervisor Ronan um, and uh, uh, verbally also supported by President Peskin and just wanted to uh, celebrate that and the fact that uh, her leadership and the leader in the progress that has been made in the behavioral health system under her leadership uh, was recognized uh, by the board and it was a it was a great event and uh, perhaps uh, we will be able to sh I think what I would ask the team to do is share a link to the video of the board meeting so the at the next in the next director's report so the Commission uh, can uh, avail themselves of, of uh, seeing that recognition 
So in other um, positive behavioral health news, I'm just delighted that uh, Mayor London Breed and DPH announced uh, the opening of a new 70-bed residential step-down uh, program in Treasure Island. The addition of these new beds represents significant progress toward the city's goal to provide new health uh, care and treatment programs for people with mental health and substance use challenges. As you know, San Francisco has a robust network of behavioral health services, and adding these new beds to the city's existing 2,200 behavioral health beds is part of the department's commitment to ensure care and treatment for people who struggle with mental health and substance use. Over the past two years, DPH has opened 250 additional residential care and treatment beds. Next item, um, uh, excited to announce the pre-hospital that we launched a pre-hospital buprenorphine program to combat opioid, uh, the opioid epidemic. This is a new program to expand buprenorphine distribution by emergency resp responders as part of the city's effort to reduce opioid overdoses. Buprenorphine helps reduce opioid withdrawal and cravings and along with methadone is the most effective treatment for opioid use disorder, reducing the risk of overdose fatalities by up to 50%. Under this new initiative, emergency personnel from the San Francisco Fire Department will administer buprenorphine in the field prior to taking individuals to a hospital, expanding access to support patients who are experiencing opioid withdrawals. The program started on April 1st. Importantly, this effort builds on the DPH work to expand access to buprenorphine citywide through a range of programs and services. This includes at hospitals and clinics, Behavior, the behavioral health pharmacy, shelters and navigation centers, the jail, and by delivery in, sit, in city permanent supportive housing and other settings. Also, um, we are celebrating the annual celebration of Earth Day. This is the next item on April 22nd. By answering calls to environmental action and raising awareness about the importance of protecting our natural resources for future generations. At DPH, Earth Day is an opportunity to recognize the many ways that our environmental health branch works to keep people in San Francisco safe. And there are many details um, that uh, the environmental health team does in relationship to keeping our environment safe um, with operating more than 30 programs covering land, air, water, homes, schools, and businesses. And those are detailed in the um, written part of the item. Next item is DP, the DPH Nursing Career Fair. Really delighted that on April 8th, uh, DPH hosted a registered nursing, nurse career fair at ZSFG Hospital for prospective RNs to learn more about exciting nursing opportunities available through DPH. And through three sessions, we welcomed a potential 100 new team members uh, to meet with the nurse leadership team. And by every uh, uh, measure this this event was was a great success and it just points to the fact that our team in uh, human resources is working extremely hard to continue to build out uh, the dph clinical teams including of course uh, with regard uh, to, to to nursing next item is the launch of our virtual lean training modules uh, per the commission and our our priorities as you know ensuring that our focused strategic priorities and investments are consistently following uh, lean principles and lean methodology to make sure that we are being as efficient and effective as possible. Um, 
the the DPH Kaizen Promotion Office, which leads our lean work across the department, coordinates it. Um, launched the Lean Foundation series, and this is uh, presenting Lean Basics with the first of two series and consists of four 15-minute introductory modules to complete at people's own pace. And at the end of the at, at the end of these modules, people can go into SF Learning. Um, to to download their certificate of completion. So again, uh, these areas include uh, these the, the areas covered here includes an introduction to lean, introduction to problem solving, uh, data for improvement, and introduction to standard work. And I think it's really important that we make lean principles and and training accessible to people in 15-minute modules. Sometimes lean can seem so challenging that I think it, it, I mean, I, just to share, I, I sort of get, wow, this is a big thing to, 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 to bite off all at once and breaking it down and the lean team is really following lean principles to help us implement lean across the department and making it uh, into smaller digestible parts that over time uh, will continue to improve um, the approach to lean across the department. And then the last item uh, is with regard to our COVID-19 update. Our seven-day seven day rolling average of new cases is uh, 41, and 40 people are hospitalized, including eight in the uh, ICU. 86% of all San Francisco residents have been vaccinated, and 65% have received booster doses, and 39% of residents have received a bivalent booster. And I, the commissioners may have noted that as of today, uh, the FDA approved uh, the, the existing uh, bivalent booster uh, for people 65 and over and those with immunocompromised uh, conditions. So uh, another uh, booster um, uh, for, for those populations. And we, will, we expect CDC to, um, to, to, to also approve that recommendation. And we will be uh, sure with our robust networks of providers and of course within our own system to make sure that we get the message out and people know um, where to go to get uh, this additional uh, booster shot. So that is my update. I'm happy to take any questions from the commissioners. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you so much. I think that was one of the most positive director's report we've had in a very long time. And I recall how thrilled we were when you recruited Dr. Kunins to this department. And it's so wonderful to know that her excellent work has been recognized and celebrated by the board. So thank you for letting us know that. And all of this wonderful news about the mental health beds and the um, and the approach we're having to substance use disorder, and of course all the other things you brought up, including the the job fair, which is so important for our staffing that's been so challenging. Um, is there any public comment on this item? Yes, there are two hands. And James, can you uh, do user three first? Because I know that person's uh, received an accommodation. Thank you, Mr. Morrow. It's, it's HH, aka Patrick. Um, it's unfortunate Dr. Colfax didn't mention just now in his remarks about COVID, the outbreak of COVID cases at Laguna Honda. 52 current COVID cases out of a patient census of 520 um, residents is a shocking 10% um, outbreak. Um, Sounds like that outbreak will catch the attention of CMS and PDPH, potentially affecting recertification over the lack of infection control at Laguna Honda, which has been an ongoing and major concern to CMS um, uh, as 
contributing reasons why Laguna Hondo was decertified a year ago. As far as um, Dr. Koufax's remarks, it's also unfortunate he did not address submitting a waiver request now to preserve those 120 beds of Laguna Honda, which make up such a critical component of the current skilled nursing facility bed capacity in San Francisco, and it will only worsen if we lose those 120 beds. Submitting a waiver request um, should be done now. Commissioner Green was mistakenly surfing uh, uh, for some sort of precedent, which is totally unnecessary given the fact that um, 42 CFR Paragraph 43.90 says that all you have to do is submit a request in writing that having three patients per room will not adversely affect the resident's health and safety. That does not need or hinge on whether or not you get recertified. You need to signal to CMS and CDTH now that you fully intend to keep those 120 beds. And um, it's so sad hearing you saying over and over, you're doing everything you can, when in fact, you're not doing everything you can because you haven't submitted a waiver request yet. This is getting more and more ridiculous. Thank you. Okay, next uh, caller, please. Hi, hi, please let us know that you're there. Yes. All right, and you've got three Good minutes. Good evening. My name is Ellen Li Zhao. I spoke earlier today. Health commissioners, Health Director Grant Calfax, Health Order Susan Phillip, Human Resources Director Luanna Kim, all of you working Agenda 21. You're working for the deep state. You are not working for the people. COVID-19 virus was never isolated. DPH and many agencies continue to set up test sites to collect data. Many of those data are about positive and negative regarding COVID-19 disease. That is a lie. They create public fear through media, forcing mandate vaccine to keep jobs and go to school is illegal. All those ongoing lawsuits against the mandate vaccine to work for city government will cost a lot of taxpayer money. We know it's not your money. That's why you continue to do it illegally. Health Director Grant Calfax, Susan Phillip, and Director Luana Kim, none of you elected into the office. Who gave you the authority to enforce public illegally by mandating vaccine to work and for school, by forcing vaccine to go out to eat? to leave, to work. Isn't that you are a doctor? Ivermectin, HCQ, zinc, and vitamins are alternative treatment. Healthy people don't need COVID-19 vaccine. Now we see more and more people are dying because they are vaccinated. I am here today ask you, each one of you, Graham Calfax, Luana Kim, Susan Phillip, and the health commissioners, 
to have a heart for unvaccinating workers who are fired by the mayor and those lawless people that I named today to end the unconstitutional vaccine mandate for jobs in San Francisco. Work appropriately with many of the departments who fired the workers. We had about 5,000 people forced to retire, forced to terminate and fired by the job in San Francisco. That is include police. And I am, I am asking you publicly, end your mandate, we call all the unvaccinated public workers back to work. The job is based on job performance, not based on medical treatment choice. May God bless each one of you, give you a heart to have feelings for unvaccinated workers who are fired from their job because they believe in health care choice. May God bless San Francisco, return to God, return to righteousness. May God end the one world, one world government in San Francisco. That is the only uh, hand for the item. All right. Are there any uh, commissioner questions and comments? And Commissioner Giam Giam sorry, Gerardo. <laughs> um, thank you, Dr. Colfax, for your report. My question, um, just do we have any information on the new Omicron variant that was um, apparently from India and seems, at least from the media, affecting uh, children more? Is it here? What do we do? Um, since do I tell my staff to put their safety glasses back on? <laughs> so um, I, I, uh, the information that we have is that it is uh, likely to be more contagious than a prior variance because of a, a mutation, an additional mutation on the spike protein. Um, there is an increase in uh, conjunctivitis, uh, which is uh, an eye infection. Um, it does seem to be limited, and it, it's, it's, it doesn't appear to, I mean, this is all you know, from what we're learning right now, that conjunctivitis is, 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 is self-limited. And thankfully, the virus uh, variant at this time doesn't appear to be more virulent in terms of creating uh, greater uh, likelihood of people ending up to hospital or, or dying due to COVID-related complications. I think the really important thing is, is that um, there is uh, the, the, the best way to protect uh, against serious consequences from the virus are the standard methods that we've continued to recommend people follow to avoid getting COVID-19, including and especially getting up to date on, on your vaccines. And uh, Dr. Uh, Susan Phillip is also on the line. And Dr. Phillip, I defer to you with any additional, if you have any additional uh, comments or updates uh, uh, per the question. Thank you, Dr. Colfax, and good afternoon, commissioners. No, I, I think Dr. Colfax really covered it, and um, we continue, and I continue to um, uh, follow closely what the uh, California Department of Public Health, what the CDC have to say, and we certainly will come back to the commission and to the public if there are any changes to our current recommendations um, regarding this new variant or any others that arise. Thank you. All right. No other questions? Commissioner, questions or comments? Thank you again for the report. So the next agenda item is the Joint Conference Committee and other committee reports. And 
I guess I'll start with the uh, Joint Conference Committee meeting of April 11th from Laguna Honda. Commissioner Guillermo is uh, out of town right now, so I'll give the update. Um, in the executive team report, we received a recertification update, which basically was very similar to today's presentation. And we also, of course, reviewed and recommended the hospital policies that were approved on today's consent calendar. There was an extensive fiscal year 2022-2023 facilities report. There were 18 assessment categories that included resident population, services provided, and care needs, and most common diagnoses staffing necessary training and competencies and staff satisfaction and risk analysis for the entire campus along with future goals. We also reviewed the finance report, hiring and vacancy report and the regulatory affairs report. And in closed session, we approved the credentials report and the PIPS minutes reports as we always do. May I get a public comment? Is, it, is there a public comment There's on public that? Comments. Okay. Yes. Um, James, please unmute uh, um, user three. Hi, this is Patrick Manette again. Um, thank you for your patience with me today. Um, the facility assessment report was pretty scary, Commissioner. During the JCC's meeting, Mr. Pickens repeated, quote, we are doing everything we can to pursue the process of submitting a waiver, end quote. Commissioner Green, for her part, asked questions about CDPH precedence, granting room capacity waivers to other skilled nursing facilities. I'm aware, so Mr. Pickens should have been fully aware other SNFs in California have, in fact, received waivers, some allowing for four-person and six-person occupancy. Commissioner Green asked, quote, what are the steps regarding a waiver request for the 120 beds and whether they can be reinstated if demand is needed? Do we have to use certified to apply for a waiver for the 120 beds, end quote. Commissioner Green, obviously those 120 beds are needed given my testimony today of the severe shortage of beds that have gone up since the 2016 um, DPH study on framing the post-acute care challenge. Of course, those beds are needed, Commissioner Green. Pickens didn't answer her. Green and Pickens appeared looking for a president, which is unnecessary given 42 CFR paragraph 483.90 that provides that survey agencies here, CDPAs, may grant a waiver to its number of faces per room rule when facilities request in writing an exception that will not adversely affect residents' health and safety. That's the only precedent Commissioner Green Pickens and Laguna Honda need. You need to submit that waiver now to demonstrate to CDPH and CMS that you're serious 
about wanting to keep those beds and not make keeping those beds a condition of obtaining recertification. We need all of Laguna Honda's licensed beds and all of the 120 that are being proposed to be cut. Your time is up. Thank you. All right, James, please unmute um, uh, Teresa Palmer. Hi. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, please turn off your uh, please turn down your computer because it's reverberating. Okay, I'm not sure which I'm on. Okay, am I might. Okay, yeah, I got confused. Okay. Okay, I just want to. Um, I'm so concerned about the 120 beds, and um, you know, it it may be that uh, you've got some plan that you're not telling us to save them. But when uh, Dr. Colfax mentioned having a state-of-the-art facility earlier, he, he didn't mention keeping the 120 beds. And, um, you know, if we're wrong about wailing on you to write that waiver letter, then tell us. But, we, um, but the human cost of losing these beds is going to be huge. And I also wonder um, if... Um, San Francisco General Hospital and the health department in general is showing any insight about the uh, complexity of um, the acutely behaviorally disordered and acutely uh, substance abusing patients that are being transferred to Laguna Honda. Don't we need um, to reevaluate given the fact that you can't even get uh, enough one-to-one staff to make sure that um, no one comes to harm. Thank you. Those are the only two comments. Right. Any commissioner questions or comments on that report? Okay. So the other um, report we have is from the Community and Public Health Committee that met today. Commissioner Gerardo. Thank you. Uh, we had two presentations. The first was the uh, DPH annual report. And in 2021-22, um, it features the COVID response, behavioral health, residential treatment expansion, particularly uh, MENA and Soma Rice, and, office, and also the Office of Health Equity and um, Human Resources in the, they were able to release the first equity report. The um, annual report also highlights in the 2022 uh, program, healthcare services, overdose prevention, whole person integrated care, HIV services, Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, population division, and the central administration. Their data resource at the end of the report was excellent. And we did ask for all of the different uh, reports that the number of people are that are served in all the program is consistent across all reports. Uh, but it was very good. The second report was the Environmental Justice Framework, <clears throat> which is a result of Senate Bill 1000. And it is a uh, kind of unheard of collaboration among many departments in the city. Uh, 
which is uh, a very uh, positive step forward. Um, and what this, the, the framework is really looking at policies as the different departments uh, come together for environmental justice and to guide um, the strategies going forward. They analyze data on uh, the environmental justice communities. It's about policies in, um, to in the general plan to address health risks. The, they state the areas of focus, um, which is really in the packet, but I'll briefly comment there. The areas are healthy and resilient environments, physical activity, and healthy public facilities, healthy food access, safe, healthy, and affordable homes, equitable and green jobs, empowered neighborhoods. Um, we. If, uh, Commissioner Christian commented with physical activity, et cetera. And within that, mental health should be included, that it is, in fact, uh, brain-body connection is there, and we don't want to just focus on the body, but also the mental health. And uh, the group um, understood the importance of the integration um, in the next, uh, in going forward. I think it was also important that to understand it is the there are community partnerships, there is community input. They also showed us a map of the sensitive areas of risk in the um, in the city, and in our ask for outcome data, it's in one of the phases going forward, but it is not in the uh, initial plan, other than within the housing area, which was mandated by the state. So that's the environmental justice framework. It was very, I thought it was very good and we was quite interactive um, as well. Thank you so much. That's wonderful to hear. And this is an incredible body of work they've done. Yes. Very detailed and analytical. Mm -hmm. And we do have a public comment. Mr. Manette Shaw wants to make sure he comments on everything that we say today. Okay. So Mr. please unmute Mr. Manette Shaw so we can give him three minutes. Thank you, Mr. Morowitz, for recognizing I was on the line. I'm rather shocked at this update from a meeting held today because it was not even listed on today's agenda. So Mr. Morowitz should have cut off discussion and presentation of this item because the public hadn't been noticed about it. It's kind of ironic when it comes to environmental justice that the BCH went along with repurposing the MRF that uh, had been created for behavioral health patients. You guys uh, let it shut down and not focus on people with mental health rehabilitation needs, which San Franciscans and the San Francisco mental health community had long begged for, and it was finally built. Then they repurposed it, and as part of trying to care for those patients appropriately, you decided to cram them into Laguna Honda using the so-called Flow Project, which was the original deadly sin facing Laguna Honda, that even the San Francisco Chronicle missed 
recognizing, and the QIE didn't actually address in his RCA reports that the root cause of the problems at Laguna Honda are because of the flow project cramming of mental health patients into Laguna Honda where you don't have the appropriate uh, services and the appropriate staff to care for the people who need and rightly deserve skilled nursing care for mental health facilities. You need to consider a bond measure to build a facility for them since you wantonly closed the MRF. What are you guys doing? All along, the health commissioners supported former Commissioner Illig and former Commissioner Roma Guy's um, social rehabilitation focus through CARA and have been cramming those patients inappropriately in the Laguna Honda. No wonder CMS decertified you folks for mismanagement of Laguna Honda. Uh, the, the dots are clear. The cookie cum trail leading to decertification is clear that this commission Time plays a large managed. part in doing Thank you. That's the last comment on the item. Any commissioner questions or comments on the report? Very well. Then the next item on the agenda is other business. Is there any other business? You all could come oh, first. Yeah, yeah. I just want to bring up one thing about, um, you know, that co community framework is that we are hoping that, you know, in the future we will also see a component that focusing on youth specifically because um, they have mentioned and, you know, and it's really exciting that they really um, lean on the community to lead these um this effort, you know, but we want to make sure that the voices of youth and maybe the youth commission can also um, be invited to to be part of the whole environmental justice framework as one of the partner. It was mentioned, um, you know, Commissioner Chung brought it up, but one of my things that I don't know but almost within all of our items that are presented, whether it's to the commission or to um, the Community and Public Health Committee, really the focus is on adults. And we really don't hear a component of children, adolescents, or, um, and young adults. So if it's possible to, I just think we need to look at the whole age spectrum and that particular age spectrum throughout the presentations or the reports is not really there. Even in, let's say, the, um, the annual report, you know, there should be some integration of children, youth, and families, so to speak. It's not, um, it's really, I think the age spectrum, I think is really kind of something that might be missing in some of the presentations. So it would be really helpful for us to be able to see that. 
Thank you for making that point. And I'm sorry if I didn't see there were other commissioner comments. Commissioner Christian. I just want to um, join with commissioners Chung and Gerardo on that request and uh, add a little bit to it, amplify what Commissioner Gerardo was pointing out, the importance of having a focus or a lens on the health of the youngest members of our city because we're never going to be able to solve the problems that we have and the issues, the systemic issues that we have until there's a greater level of health and well-being in the earliest, their earliest ages. And, you know, we're talking about how they are able to perform in school as a result and the connection is clear and I know that it's one that everyone at DPH understands, um, but in terms of the reports that come to us and the presentations, it would be, um, I think I would like to see that integrated throughout. And I just want to emphasize that, you know, Commissioner Gerardo said that, but that lens integrated throughout the um, work that is done in the presentation about the work and the, and the um, resources that are directed toward the health uh, problems and issues in our city. Thank you so much and I think very well taken and I would even go back to say in utero and I know we've had some discussions about that but I'm passionate about obstetrics and women's health and what we're doing to begin with uh, pregnancy and make sure that children get a very good start and I know we have resources to try to accomplish that. Right, we will. There's somebody on the line who'd like to speak. Absolutely. All right, uh, please unmute the caller. Okay, it's Patrick again. Since the agenda says that this other business item is affords uh, an opportunity for members of the public to bring up topics for discussion, here I go again. Although I am beating a dead horse about points I've already made today. But during my three minutes, let me um, add um, that uh, the whole spectrum, the, the speaker just now who said the whole spectrum needs to be looked at. Of course it does. You guys need to look at the spectrum of doing something to convert the MRF back to its initial purpose so that you're not uh, inappropriately sending mental health patients screwed in a Honda where they don't receive the level of care they deserve and that Laguna Honda can't provide. You also need to look about uh, revisiting that um, framing uh, post-acute care report. It's seven years old. You need to do an update and get calling, I mean, uh, I was going to say Colin Chihuahua, but I mean uh, Shania Patil's department to go back and update that, take another look at um, expanding skilled nursing facilities in San Francisco, including preserving all 120 of those proposed uh, bed cuts at Laguna Honda. And uh, you need to... Um, uh, consider a couple of other studies about the spectrum of long-term care in San Francisco. So I'm not going to beat a dead horse on the phone right now, 
but I'm going to go back to the drawing board to finish my written public comment to include in the meeting minutes of today's meeting. There are other areas about the spectrum of care that you folks must revisit. And I want to emphasize the mess you're in is largely because of previous actions this commission has taken more or less, however inadvertently, violating your fiduciary duty as the governing body to be looking at this entire spectrum of facilities. You guys need to work on developing facilities and going back to the drawing board about your capital fund budget, there's no reason that there should be a fuel leak at. Thank you. That's the only caller. Okay. All right. So then we can go to the next item, which is consideration of a closed session. Yes. Um, I must take public comment on that. Item. We do need to take public comment. Is there any public comment on item 10 uh, for close uh, consideration for closed session? Going once, going twice. I see no hands. All right. All right. Oh, I'm Is, sorry. A hand just went up. Okay. Please unmute. Caller three. It's Patrick again. I'm concerned about the settlement of litigation. Um, I assume that they are probably both employee-related lawsuits. I'm sorry. All three of them are probably uh uh, employee uh, lawsuits against the city. Um, and uh, although you do display the case numbers um, of these cases, they're in U.S. District Court, not Superior Court, and it's more difficult to, uh, for the public to uh, learn the details of each of those three lawsuits. But I suspect that when they advance out of their closed session and eventually make it to the Board of Supervisors, we'll see if you guys are engaged again in wrongful termination of employees. Thank you. All right, there's one more hand. Uh, the next caller, please. Good evening. My name is Ellen Li Zhao. I spoke twice earlier today. Health Commissioners, Health Director Grant Calfax, Health Order Susan Phillip, Human Resources Director Luanna Kim. You have been abusing your public position by helping the deep state communism, one world order government, to force people to inject a bioweapon, COVID-19 vaccine that create unnecessary lawsuit filed by unvaccinated workers in San Francisco. Discrimination against Christians, Catholics, and medical freedom seekers. CDC and FDA will never mandate vaccine to anybody in the first place. California health order ended on April 3rd, 2023. But San Francisco continued to mandate a vaccine to apply for jobs that disqualify unvaccinated people to work in public work, which is discrimination. Today's item 10, 
a closed section, litigation, cost the city payer money more than $300,000 due to lawsuit filed by workers, health commissioners, health director, Grant Calfax, Susan Phillip, Luana Kim, none of you elected into your office. Who gave you the authority to enforce public illegally by mandate vaccine for work and school? That now we see more and more vaccinated people are dying. In another word, you help the globalist, the one world other government, to murder many of the people through vaccination. As of today, April 15, 2023, the unvaccinated government employees still have five active lawsuits against you, the mayor and health officials and city leaders lying to the public, forcing Agenda 21, the one world order government through vaccination, killing our very own people. And you against discriminate the Christians, the Catholics, and this is illegal. It's violate people's constitutional rights religious freedom, medical choice. And now we see more and more people sick and dying because you force vaccination. And this order is still in place. Shame on your people. You should not be go home and able to eat and sleep because what you did is forcing and murdering people. 1,168 Christians and Catholics being terminated because they believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in God. They believe in the Bible. They believe the body is the temple for the Holy Spirit. They were okay. fired because up. they Thank don't you. believe in your. All right, commissioners, that's the only, that's the last comment. Um, so you all can consider a vote. Is there a motion to go into closed session? So moved. Second. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 And then okay. um, secondly, commissioners, you have a second vote to um, assert the uh, client attorney privilege, which is a whole separate vote. Right. There's no need for public comment because only one public okay. comment for the whole closed session. Uh, can we have a motion? So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 All right, please give me, th uh, members of the public, thank you for attending. We will be back, but while we're in uh, closed session, you will not see or hear us. Give me 30 seconds, please, to um, take us over. And uh, SFGovTV, I'm going to switch you over as well um, once we go into um, practice session. GovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 And now consideration for adjournment. Who would like to move to adjourn? I so move. Is there a second? Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Very productive meeting. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, we're not quite out yet. I need to close up the meeting. Thank you, SFGov TV.